We're very disciplined because we're long-term oriented. We're looking at, you know, long-term trends um, that have happened over the last 30, 40 years and looking at what we would reasonably expect to see for those assets on a, a long-term basis. Um, we can be very patient and we want to make sure that we buy any asset that we would like to hold forever. Welcome to The Financial Commute, a weekly podcast that gives you the rundown on what's going on in the current market, how it affects you, and what you can do about it, all designed to fit into your commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, and each week I share the table with a knowledgeable guest, including Morton Wealth Advisors, fund managers, and investment analysts, to break down complex financial topics. Our goal is to provide you with the tools to help you navigate any market environment, leading to a path of more confident investing. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Financial Commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, joined by Megan Gudnikoff, Managing Director and Partner of KCB Real Estate. Megan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. The real estate environment, sort of in the headlines, you've got you know news about Blackstone and, uh, and all these issues with, with regards to office. It's an interesting time to be investing in real estate, wouldn't you say? It is very invest- interesting. Before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about KCB because I love the story about your group and what you guys do. Tell us a little bit about KCB. Absolutely. So we're a buy and hold um, control investment uh, firm that's been around for over 30 years now. We were founded as a family office and took our first outside capital in 2003. So we've been investing for a long time, both in direct uh, real estate as well as doing joint ventures with capable and experienced operating partners across the country. And we've invested in all different types of properties, everything from, you know, kind of basic multifamily to um, senior care, hospitality, um, other commercial assets. So we really are looking for finding the right operating partners that really um, can show us a strong track record in, in what they've been able to achieve. Yeah, I've loved the partnership that we've had for over 20 years and the experience that you guys bring to the table, you know, being able to invest in many different types of asset classes. But that that only gives us a glimpse of who you guys are. I mean, because you are investing with uh, other partners um, that you raise money with, right. you're not quick to just go buy a property just because you have money sitting in the bank account, right? You're very right. patient. Absolutely. I mean, we're very disciplined because we're long-term oriented. We tend to underwrite quite a bit differently than other folks do. So we're looking at, you know, long-term trends um, that have happened over the last 30, 40 years and looking at what we would reasonably expect to see for those assets on a a long-term basis. Um, And so we can be very patient and we want to make sure that we buy any asset that we would like to hold forever. Yeah. Which is different than what some groups have done the past, you know, call it four, five, six years in this craze of easy money, right? Right. When you've got interest rates at zero, how much money are you going to borrow? Right. You're going to borrow as much as you can. Right. It doesn't cost you anything. And then you throw in COVID and all the stimulus and, you know, the the, the programs that went there. Um, It was interesting to see what happened. And now we're sort of in in an economic shift from zero interest rate policy to now you can earn a reasonable rate of return on some really safe assets like government right. bonds. Right. So that changes the price dynam- dynamic of lots of different investments, especially real estate. Mm-hmm. So uh, we don't need to get into office, but you know, now that we're not in a zero interest rate environment right. and buyers are still saying, hey, 
I want the price that my property was worth a couple of years ago, not right. price that it may be worth today now that it right. costs more to, to borrow money. Tell us what's going on in the current real estate market. Yeah. And I think that that sellers are more reasonable with what their expectations are today versus a year ago. I mean, if they look at their valuations pre-COVID to where they are today, especially on the multifamily side, um, you know, they're not they're not doing so bad. Um, in other property types, obviously, it's it has been a bit more challenging. But when you kind of take a look back over the last year, you had a number of events that really impacted today's valuations. For you had um, interest rates rising um, or the Fed rate rising, and then you also had spreads widening too because um, people weren't sure of what was going to happen. Was there, you know, a more dramatic recession or a softer landing happening? And so naturally, lenders wanted to create more spread or cushion for themselves. And then on top of that, you started to see bank failures at the beginning of the year. Um, and actually, if you look at last year, the largest um, investor in credit was uh, smaller regional banks. Yeah, that's so it's that, not just bank failures. It's these Silicon Valley Bank, First right. Republic. I mean, these are banks that, you know, cater to real estate investors and small and medium sized businesses. So Right. Yeah. So when those are wiped out or not not um, lending and people can go to private investment funds that are much more expensive generally. Um, the CMBS market really froze for a moment and then spreads widening again there and investors didn't know how to actually price CMBS loans because they didn't know what the market was going to do. So we saw properties that we were looking at at the beginning of the year and a sponsor would, would go under contract and then have a 100 basis point spread differential happen between you know signing of purchase agreement and then we're about to close and if you're one percent increase in interest rate that's about a 10 percent reduction in loan proceeds right so where is the the hole coming from sure well it would come from the equity but at that point the deal probably wouldn't pencil yeah so you know obviously with the how quickly things moved in the market you know, you were probably looking at a lot of deals that all of a sudden, hey, maybe this doesn't make sense. Right. Um, no diligence. Right. Yeah. Now, I know your goal for Fund 8 is to raise a couple hundred million dollars. Um, now, that sounds like a lot of money, and that is a lot of money. But in the context of things with, you know, $30 trillion worth of debt and, right. you know, other really large um, groups like Blackstone raising $125 billion, $200 million is a real nice sweet spot. You can play in an area of real estate that other people can't. Tell right. Yeah. We we consider it more of a funding gap. It's kind of a little bit under most institutional um, investors' interests, and it allows us to find deals that we we get outsized returns, we believe. And, and we're typically dealing with um, operating partners who have raised capital from friends and family for a long period of time or have maybe come out of the corporate space and have a track record, but they haven't done a deal with an institutional partner themselves. So we're kind of teaching them along the way how to deal with an institutional partner. Um, but they find deals that a lot of times they're buying maybe from um, groups that aren't institutional capital that don't know how to manage properties professionally. And so we're able to get a little bit more than maybe going after, say, a $300 million transaction. Right. And, that, and that's key. I mean, people that own and operate real estate 
they understand the inefficiencies and in what they're trying to do, especially the way that you got you guys invest where you do value add real estate. Right. You buy a piece, piece of real estate, you fix it up, turn it around, and you can increase re- rents, but you're not just ground up construction. So when you've got, say, a husband and wife mm-hmm. that bought a building that are operating it because it pays them nice cash flow, right. um, they might have not been operating it as efficiently as maybe you can. And so when you find those opportunities to buy, you can really um, generate a lot of value pretty quickly. Right. And I think, uh, you know, uh, over the last, say, call it 10 years, you saw a lot of non-institutional people into the market because it seemed pretty easy to be able to run a property. You had double-digit rent growth happening in market. So even if you weren't efficient on the operating expense side, um, it allowed you to still see some really generous NOI growth and then appreciation of value, right? And right now, you're seeing huge increases in your operating expenses. Um, insurance costs increasing because of all the different, you. you know, insurance yeah. claims across the board. And then um, just generally the cost of doing business, right? Um, people, yeah. uh, which is a, a big part of your expense line item that you naturally have to um, pay more because it's a, a much tighter labor market. And so with lower rent growth expectations or in some cases negative rent growth, it makes it a lot more challenging then to make sure that you're cash flowing your property and then layer in increasing debt service payments. Um, you know, people can get in some real trouble. Yeah. And, and that's what potentially is happening. I know that, um, you know, Peter, one of your partners came out and said, hey, this the next four years could be one of the best times to buy in a decade. Uh-huh. Um, but you brought up the example of the last 10 years of, of investing in real estate. It's been pretty easy. Right. Um, but for people that weren't paying attention to being long-term holders of real estate, um, they maybe didn't get the right type of debt. Right. And that debt is adjusting now over the next couple of years to where you know they were borrowing at three and now it's going to be six. Right. Well, that extra debt service cost is going to hit the margins and maybe their their building's now less profitable. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to pick on California, but we all know what what's happened here with the fires and the cost right. of insurance. Well, right. that's not just he, the cost of insurance gone up here in, in California. It's across the country. Right. And so if you're not a great operator, that's not your core business, you probably weren't hedging yourself by increasing rents or adding value to the property to help offset some of those unforeseen costs. Right. And so now we're, we're in a situation where the next couple of years, there's something called like this debt wall. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, depending on the source, right? It's about 1.5 trillion um, in in debt maturities that are coming up. Um, I, I was I was sorry to sorry to interrupt real quick. So so a trillion dollars. Like let's think about that. I was talking with Jeff Sardi, our CEO. If you took the number a trillion mm-hmm. and you put it in terms of seconds, mm. how much time would need to go by to reach a trillion second? Oh my gosh. I don't know. Thirty one thousand years. <laughs> Think about yeah. the thirty one thousand years. Okay, so yeah. so back to the debt maturity wall. Mm-hmm. Depending on who you're talking to, it's about one point two trillion that's right. coming due to refinance in the next couple of years. Right. Yeah. Um you know, and and some of those have been more, uh, I would say, extend and pretend type loans too, right? Where they came due during COVID, and lenders were forced to extend another year or two to be able to get um, sponsors the opportunity to have their properties recover. Well, in some markets, the recovery really hasn't happened, right? And then you layer in rising interest rates, 
And it's really taken a toll on a lot of properties and borrowers to a point where they're really seriously considering just letting go of the properties. And so if their option is to let go of the properties and hand the keys back, typically most lenders don't want to be owners of real estate. And so they're going to accelerate the sale of their assets, hoping to get at least face value. But really, I think time is more important for them versus, you know, total increase in profit that they could get potentially um, from selling the, the properties. And so I think that will then naturally have an impact on other property owners who don't necessarily need to sell, right? But now the new market is a much lower valuation sure. um, environment. So I think it's going to be challenging also, as we talked about earlier, right? With higher interest rates, you're going to have lower loan proceeds naturally unless you were able to offset it by NOI growth, yeah. which um, in some rent cases growth. maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, rent growth or, you know, cutting costs. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, which just wanted to, happen. NOI, net operating income is basically increasing revenues or decreasing expenses and get it, getting that gap to expand. Yeah. Right. Yep, exactly. Um, now, you guys have the ability to be patient and with this opportunity in the next couple of years, Real estate is somewhat interesting because it's somewhat it's somewhat specific to the area or the locale or the type of property. Like even here in Southern California, single family homes have been extremely resilient with all right. of this. You hear, you know, news stories about office in San Francisco or New York, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you're raising a lot of money. You're allowed to be pl- allowed to be patient and you guys are going to be patient. But that doesn't mean if you guys came across the right deal today, you wouldn't um, jump on it, correct? Right. Yeah. I mean, we've always looked at long-term restorable averages. So um, if we can reasonably believe that over the next 10 years, let's say, you know, we should be able to grow rents at one and a half to three percent, depending on the market. Um, or if you're doing long-term fixed rate leases, you know what your rent escalations are going to be. Um, then you can back into what what would the return be if we're if we're going to move forward with the deal and if the return works for us then we obviously would be a buyer we don't like to ever believe that we know when the bottom is going to take place and don't want to wait for that because it may never happen and then we've missed the good opportunity yeah um that's a good point because it's hard we emotionally want to you know think and use our minds on what could happen and is this the right time but um if you if you don't jump on a good deal and you guys are looking at things from a very long-term perspective. It's not like some other operators that are really just trying to make a quick dollar. They're trying to buy an asset, put some paint on it, then turn around and sell it at a higher price, which you can be pretty successful with um, the last few years. Right. It's a different environment. And it's more challenging for those type of folks today to make a deal work, right? Yeah. Because they're coming into a higher cap rate environment. They're trying to do, say, a fix and flip, but the rent growth isn't there today. It will be eventually because we know that there's a national housing shortage, right? Sure. Um, But if you're trying to do a two-year or three-year hold period, and then previously, you know, they're normally underwriting a cap rate that's much more compressed than what they're buying it at. And we always do expanded cap rates because we assume over time interest rates are going to rise. Um, And so that's really taken a lot of folks out of the market and allowed us to see a lot more deal flow. Well, that's a good point, and especially in your underwriting, you're finding ways to protect yourself and make sure that your numbers work long term. Um, 
This has been a really fun conversation. Is there before we kind of wrap it up? Is there anything else that you'd like to add, or you think that we missed? No, I think it's good. In terms of the asset classes, obviously you guys have senior living to hotels yeah. to you know retail, some storage, even multifamily. Really? Um, is there any asset class that you're really excited about today, um, or is it just looking for those unique opportunities um, that that can that sort of come about? Yeah, we really like to keep uh, a wide net. Um, so that we can look at anything and everything. We don't want to be too specific in what we'll look at and, and not. But I would say long-term trends for us, as I mentioned, housing shortage, we know that there's going to be nice rent growth eventually if you can be patient in certain markets where there is a housing uh, shortage. And then also um, in senior care too, with the baby boomer population, um, there's a lot of unmet demand and, and we'll continue to have supply constraints if you don't start to see um, more supply into the market. Sure. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us and being being a great partner uh, at Morton. Thank you. Yep. Thank you again. Thank you for joining us. And we hope this episode has provided you with a roadmap to feel more confident as an investor. To receive notifications about weekly episodes, email us at financialcommute at mortonwealth.com.